Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And this is Ron Dorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor and I are joined by a dear friend and a co-worker, Nathaniel Williams. Nathaniel serves as the pastor of Cedar Rock First Baptist Church and is the editor for the Center for Faith and Culture, one of our sister centers here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Nathaniel, brother, thanks for being a part of today's conversation. Uh, it's an honor to be here, and uh, I'll say from the outset, I am no expert on our today's topic, but I'm in the middle of it, so hopefully I can speak well on behalf of uh, other brothers in, in the same situation. Absolutely. So today, I want all of us to discuss pastors and rural ministry. Before I ask any specific questions, I just wanted to see if you could take a few moments just to tell us a little bit about your church, the context, where it's located, any, any little details like that. Sure, I'm the pastor of uh, Cedar Rock First Baptist Church in uh, Castalia, North Carolina. Odds are you've never heard of Castalia. Most North Carolinians have never heard of Castalia, but it's a little community about 45 minutes northeast of campus here. Uh, It's a very rural area. Our church is surrounded uh, by a highway on one side and on two other sides by tobacco fields. So we're out there in a very rural area, but it's a beautiful uh, community, beautiful location and a good group of folks that we get to serve alongside. Absolutely. So rural ministry is different in some ways than than urban ministry. Um, So what are some of the unique features of serving in a rural context? I'll preface my answer by saying I think there's probably way more we have in common uh, with serving in in an urban context than there would be different. I mean, there's as a pastor, our, our role is defined by Scripture, and we have a responsibility to handle the Word, to, uh, to, to, to teach it well, to handle it well, to proclaim it. We have a responsibility to love and serve people. So the very core, the essence of the vocation of pastor in a rural area is no different, really, than, than it would be anywhere else. But as you, as you indicated, there are some parts of serving in a rural area that are unique. And I think one of those would be that typically in an area like mine, uh, the churches are smaller and the congregations are older. Older both in terms of the age of the church, like our church is 150 years old almost Mm -hmm. at this point, and older in terms of the makeup of the church. You're going to see probably a few more gray hairs in a church like mine than in a church in, uh, in a more urban context. And that's partly due to just the demographics of the area where a church like mine would be. Uh, a lot of the younger folks, you know, grew up there, move off closer to the city for jobs or whatnot, and so we just have a little bit older demographic in a community like mine. So that's that's one thing. They're, they're typically smaller churches, typically older congregations, although that's not always the case. Um, uh, one other th- unique aspect of rural ministry is that it's very hands-on. Uh, you know, as a pastor in a r- small rural church, you wear a lot of hats. And so you have to do a lot of things in addition to just the, the things you would think of as being as serving as a pastor. Um, and, you know, another every community has its own culture. And I think every church has its own culture, different unique aspects of 
of what a church is like or, or the traditions they have, and that's no different in a rural area. So there are some traditions in a church like mine that would be uh, that probably someone in the in the middle of a city have never heard of. Things like homecoming, not a dance where you you know get together, but but a, a, an event in the fall where. Uh, folks from from who grew up in that church come back there's a big meal and there's a lot of festivities uh, the church I grew up in I, I had no idea what homecoming was right <laughs> it's a unique aspect of rural ministry or things like sunrise services it's just kind of the expectation on Easter that that you're gonna be at church at 7 a.m. Uh, to, to watch the sunrise and worship Jesus so again the church I grew up in we didn't do that so there's unique aspects to serving in a rural church uh, a church like mine that, that I think are really beautiful in some senses and, and also just really interesting that, that other churches may not know about. That's good stuff. Um, what are some things that you see as, as um, challenges? What are, what are the biggest challenges uh, that you face uh, uh, when pastoring in a rural church? I think broadly here, and again, I don't want to speak for every pastor in a rural church because they, they all have their own challenges. Again, I think there's some challenges that are common to all of ministry. You're working with sinners, you know, you're uh, dealing with your own sin, you're, you're trying to lead a group of people. So there, there's a lot of commonality there with, with serving other churches. But some challenges in a rural church, number one, I think would be uh, tradition. And, you know, again, every church has its own tradition. Uh, but for a, a church that's a little bit older, the members have a little bit grayer hair, those traditions are just a little bit more entrenched. And so uh, some of those traditions are good. Some of them uh, maybe we want to change. It's just a little bit harder to get folks to consider or buy into new ideas. Not impossible. It just takes a little more intentionality, a little more effort and time to kind of help bring them along on, on, on some new ideas. So I think tradition would be one of those. Another uh, challenge would just be discouragement. And, uh, you know, most pastors have the, the other preachers they look up to or the other churches that they admire and they want to preach like so-and-so or have their church be like such and such a church. And when your church is small, it's, it's, you realize pretty quickly you can't be that person and your church cannot be that church. And so um, I think for a lot of folks that is a discouraging thing because if you're if you're dependent on what you're reading and the, the voices, the influence you have, you're constantly being told you need to do X, Y, or Z, mm -hmm. or your church needs to be like X, Y, or Z. If you're not doing this, then you're not a faithful church. If you're not being like this, you're not a faithful pastor. And with the limitations in a small rural church, you just can't do all that stuff. And I yeah. think the expectation versus reality can lead to a sense uh, of discouragement amongst uh, amongst pastors, and that's not just rural churches, but I think particularly so for rural churches. Um, another another challenge, perhaps, would be uh, just the, the realization that every community has its own culture. And I think if we were to, you and I were to go off to the mission field today in, in the middle of Asia and plant a church there, we'd be very aware of our need to know the culture, understand it, affirm the good, critique the bad. We often forget that's the case in little small communities around America as well. Right. That they all have their own culture, they all have their own quirks and idiosyncrasies, and we have to learn the culture, learn to speak the language. We can't come in and assume we know it all. We have to come in and know what that culture is like. As mm -hmm. Leslie Newbegin would say, have a missionary encounter with our own culture. So that's a challenge 
only in the sense that we don't often think of our own cultures in that same way, that we need to understand them in order to, to minister well there. So uh, those are some general challenges, I think, to, to pastoring a rural church. You know, I think if I, if I could add one also on top of all of that, and maybe even um, uh, part of the reason that, that many, of the ones, many of the things that you mentioned are, uh, can be uh, challenges and frustrations, is the, uh, the challenge of time. Uh, so if you're coming from a suburban uh, context, from an urban context, uh, especially if you're coming from an urban context, things go fast yeah. uh, and things move really fast. We drive fast. <laughs> we, you know, we, uh, we, we move from one thing to the next, you know, without any breaks in between. And, and just everything goes at warp speed. And that is not in any way, shape or form. Uh, life in the rural context. If you, you know, you talk about traditions. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing with traditions in rural context is they die slowly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Everything goes slowly. Yeah. And so if you um, come in thinking, you know, I've got a three-year plan, yeah. you know, to turn the church around or, or something like that, you might want to add a, a decade or so to that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because it, you just, you know, it, things are slow. And uh, and that's not a bad thing. It's just a different a different measurement, a different yeah. pace of life. Yeah, absolutely. And you, know, you think about that, it, there's even the way the church is structured with the committees and there's a process to moving through, it is tedious. We're working on a couple projects for the sound system of the church. You'd think that'd be easy. Just go do it, right? There's a process. And that's it's a good thing to have a process. It just it takes time. And uh, I think a lot of folks uh, come into issues when they come in wanting to be a wrecking ball, change it immediately, and that's where the friction comes. So you got to mm-hmm. be willing to, to, to be patient, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think, uh, unlike the urban context where there's so much transience, uh, you know, folks are moving in, as you said, you know, they're moving in for the job. And if the job, you know, dries up or if the job relocates, you know, or or say you get married and you have kids and you want to live out in the, you know, in the uh, open, you know, open field and so on and not you know want to be in the busyness of the city or, or even some of the dangers of the city. Uh, well, you know, the the transience is there in, in the urban uh, context. But when you look at uh, the rural context, well, if you're there, you're probably going to be there and you're going to be there for life. You bought the house that your grandkids are going to play in and, and, and all of that. And so time just slows down uh, in, in, those, in those settings. And if you plan on being there for a long time, which you should plan on being there for a long time, then that should uh, contribute to you being patient and saying, you know, I, I, can, I, I can do this, you know, and this is the direction that we're going. Uh, but we can go at a at a more uh, uh, patient pace yeah, <laughs> than maybe yeah. in a setting where where there's a turnaround every two three years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got members of my church that are in their 70s and their 80s, and they have been a part of that community since they were born. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have been a member of that church since you know the day they were baptized, and uh, one member you know members that remember when the old church burned down. They remember when they built the new sanctuary. They remember when we did all this stuff. And they have seen, you know, one quirk of being where we are is we get a lot of seminary folks coming through. They have seen, I don't know how many, countless dozen pastors come and go, come and go, come and go. And so uh, there is an expectation, like, if I, if I were to come in and say, we're going to change everything, you know, day one, we're going to change everything, blow it up, try this. 
there would be like th- it would be the question why should we do that when you're going to be gone in a couple years mm-hmm. and we're still going to be here and all the changes you made we'll have to deal with them so you know I understand that mindset if you've been invested in that community in that church serving in all these ways um, then you're not going to receive ideas that someone from out the outside comes in wants to blow stuff up you, we have to be patient yeah. I was actually going to say well before we came to uh, seminary here in Wake Forest me and my wife were members of a smaller rural church and that was the one thing that I was going to say was um, this church I, I joined this church after meeting my wife but for my wife this had been her church it had been her dad's church it had been her dad's father's and mother's church I mean they had been so invested in this church for years and so and then through those years had seen multiple pastors and so one of the reasons that that might be you know a cause of, of things moving slowly is because of the fact that They've been there, yeah. and they've seen guys come in and come out, and and so, uh, so there there might be more hesitancy to try to change things, knowing that the, you know, that they're going to be there even after this pastor's gone a lot of times. And I'll be honest, if if I had shown up year one and wanted to make all these changes, what right would I have had? I didn't know the people. I didn't yeah. know the church. Someone gave me this advice, and I wish I remember who it was. And they said, when you go to you know go to a church. Uh, day one, write down all the things you wish you could change, put it in a drawer somewhere, wait a year, get the list out, and then repent of the pride that you had when you, when you got there. And I think there was a lot of wisdom to that. Because what I tried to do it, it was year one, not change anything. Just get to know the people. Mm-hmm. Get to know the community. Get to know the church and how you know wh- where the tensions were or where... Uh, how it functioned, what each thing's purpose was, know what in the world I was doing because I was super <laughs> green at this. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. But I think uh, in that time, uh, God gave me just a, a tremendous love for the people. Mm. And I think that has been beneficial on the back end of that now. When we want to do change, we do it together, right? Yeah. And, uh, and we do it because we love each other and we want to see our community come to Christ. So um, that was tremendous advice that someone gave me. I wish I remember who that was, mm. but, uh, but that requires patience. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you share a little bit about the challenges uh, of doing ministry in a rural context. Now, uh, what are some of the joys? I know I've seen your, your Facebook and your Twitter, <laughs> and I've seen the amazing pictures you take in the evening uh, when the sun hits your, your church, and I think, man, that's just... That's just beautiful. It is. Uh, what, are, what are some yeah. other joys, though, in addition to just the beauty of a rural context? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't want to. I don't want to even undersell the beauty of a rural context. I think I, I am grateful every day that when I walk outside to to pray or whatever, that I get to look up and see the blue skies and the trees. And and for me, uh, it's just a reminder of the greatness of God. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, if you live in a city, you can you can see that in other places too. And I don't want to say that's you know that it's better to live in a rural area. But for me, it is a blessing to look outside and see the sky and the trees and, and be prompted to worship God. Uh, but, you know, there's so many joys to pastoring in general and to pastoring where I am. The greatest is the people, you know. Um, uh, I just love our folks. I love our community. They've been so good to us and so patient with us. Patience is a two-way street, you know. Uh, as I didn't know what in the world I was doing, they, they kind of held my hand and walked me along the path of figuring that out. Um, you know, the first person in our church 
uh, passes away and I get a phone call like here's what you should probably do you should probably go see this person and sit with them and and you know that was just some tremendous patience that they had with me so they've loved us so well and uh, and it really is just a blessing to, to serve those folks um, in their sufferings mm-hmm. they've served us in our sufferings and so uh, it's just a beautiful thing to, 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 to be enmeshed in a community like that. We mentioned, again, that community has, has existed long before we got there. People that have lived there their whole lives, they know this person, that person, there's a closeness there. And as an outsider, they have welcomed me into that. And so it's just a beautiful thing. One other joy, and you're going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but, but there's a reason to say this. A joy of pastoring a rural area is the funerals. And you'd say, why would you say the funerals? Uh, here's what I mean. You know, they're at, living in a place with generally older folks. You're going to have more funerals. I remember um, when I told a pastor at my old church, hey, I'm going to become, I'm feel, feeling called to this particular church. He said, you're going to do a lot of funerals. And I didn't know what to think about that, but he was absolutely right. I was. Mm. But to do a funeral, to serve, to, to serve in a funeral is, is a tremendous honor in that this family is going through one of the most difficult moments of their life and they want you there. And they want you to be there. And and in that moment, I don't have any answers, but I get to simply pray with folks, read scripture with folks, and I'm just in awe of how God uses those two things to minister to people. Um, It is a beautiful thing to, to, to serve families in this way. And they, they, they want me there. You know, who am I? Who am I that they would want me there? Um, so that's just an honor to serve in funerals. And it's also just a beautiful opportunity. Um, you know, every funeral message I preach, I proclaim the gospel. Mm. And because there's folks in that room who would never step foot inside a church, any other situation. But I get to tell them about Jesus Christ and about the hope he can give them and that how he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I've got a captive audience who is listening, looking for hope. And uh, it is a beautiful thing to be able to share the hope of Christ to people looking for hope. Mm. And funerals, oddly enough, give us an opportunity to do that. Mm. So like I said, I, I come from a, a church very similar uh, to yours, very small uh, in terms of just the, the size, uh, older congregation. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, that me and my pastor often talked about was uh, just at times how he felt isolated and, and kind of alone. And a lot of times pastors in rural contexts can feel that, feel that isolation and feel like uh, it's kind of a struggle to connect with others, kind of you know, moments where they need to vent or, or to talk with others. They just, they don't really have anyone to turn to. You know, you mentioned earlier that larger churches typically have more pastors. And so uh, a lot of the times uh, in these smaller contexts, it's just, just him, uh, just the pastor. So what encouragement would you give to guys right now that are listening to this and thinking, man, I, I can relate to that. I just, I don't feel like I have someone to talk to. What, what, what encouragement would you give to them? And, and what suggestions would you give on how they can connect with others? Southeastern believes it is important to support women as theologians and to equip them for service wherever their calling takes them. If God has called you to ministry in the church, the academy, 
or at home, Southeastern Seminary wants to equip you with the tools you need to fulfill your calling. With almost every degree available online, you can get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future by visiting subts.edu. Use the code PASTORMATTERS, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And I don't claim to have it all figured out here. I mean, this has been a process to try to, to get to know the other pastors in my community over the last couple of years. One thing that is, um, I've tried to remind myself is, you know, I think we all have this innate tendency towards competition. We think church down the road, we're fighting for the same folks. And what I've had to force myself to remember is we're not fighting for the same folks, we're on the same team. Mm. Uh, if a church person, if they reach someone, uh, a non-believer comes to Christ and is in their church, praise God for that, you know? And I think that subtle shift in, in mentality to remember we're all on the same team diffuses potential conflict you could have with a, with a brother pastor down the road, and it makes relationships more attainable. It's hard to be friends with someone if you think you're, <laughs> you're, you're fighting for the same territory, right? And I think just that little subtle reminder to ourselves that we're on the same team uh, makes us want to, to, to get to know other people and, and view them as friends. Second thing I think about is baby steps. Uh, you're not, I think none of us are going to become best friends with the person down the road overnight. One, one thing I'll, I'll credit, there, there's a guy out there named Jared, Pastor Jared. You know who you are. You're a listener to this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to give you a shout out. Uh, what he did during the pandemic was he started a Facebook message group with all the pastors in our area. And that simple step uh, facilitated communication between all of us about COVID, about what we're doing, mm. how we're handling this, uh, what stresses we're having. Um, you know, all that communication that was not happening all of a sudden happened because he took that baby step of forming a Facebook message group, you know. And uh, that has now spilled over post-pandemic, if we could say we're post-pandemic, into getting lunches together uh, once a month. And so we're building those uh, relationships because of that baby step that he took mm. to, to foster communication. So uh, I'm grateful for him and his ministry. ministry. Thank you, Jared, for doing that. Um, another thing, uh, what I've tried to do is, you know, we all have our friends from seminary, and there's a couple of guys that I try to stay in touch with, the like-minded uh, brothers, like-minded pastors. They serve different parts of the country. But we try to stay in touch and, and see how each other's doing mm. um, and, and call each other um, occasionally. And lastly, somewhere along the way, people thought it was, they gave out the advice that you shouldn't become friends with folks in your church. And I don't know where that came from. And I, and I realize that there is, there's a difference with getting to know folks in your church because they look to you as, as, a, as a source of leadership and authority and whatnot. But, you know... The people in our churches are a blessing, and they are brothers and sisters in Christ, mm. and they are a family. Mm. And, you know, there are folks in our church who I have been with them through their low points. They have been with me through mine. And uh, I consider them not just church members, but friends. Mm. And so I, th I think we want to love our churches in such a way that we can be friends with the members of the church. I don't know where that advice came from. I think it came from 
folks who were who were gotten hurt at one point, uh, perhaps, and that's probably a real situation. But but I'm grateful for the brothers and sisters in our church and how they are more than just church members; they're friends, and so I'm grateful for them. So this question is is really for. Uh, two groups for folks who are in rural contexts and for folks who are not in rural contexts. So, so keep them in mind. Um, uh, and, and pastors in rural contexts and pastors that are not in rural contexts. What are some lessons that you've learned uh, in in the the years that you've had here uh, ministering in in a, a rural area? What are some lessons that you may have that that could be an encouragement to? Uh, pastors of rural churches, and that would be an encouragement to uh, pastors who are not in uh, rural contexts. So we already talked about patience, and I think that's the first one, is the willingness to be patient, the idea that we overestimate what we can do in one year, we underestimate what we can do in 10. And so patience is a really critical thing that I've been, that God's been teaching me. Secondly, a lesson uh, that God's taught me and I hope it'll be encouraging to others is just that uh, the importance of loving the church Mm. Um, I think we all have had church hurt in our past I've had it you guys I'm sure have had it at some point where there was a negative experience in the church and that there's a wound there and what I've had to do is to ask God a to heal that and B to give me a heart not just for serving the church not just for working at a church, but to love the church. Mm. That's very different. Um, think about First Corinthians where Paul goes through all the ways that <laughs> Corinthian church had messed up. But this is the first chapter, and I'm paraphrasing. But he talks about that how they are beloved of God. And I think we have to love the church. And I, I've asked, there's one thing I've, I've learned, if we can't serve the church well if we don't love the church. Mm. Um, Finally, and I think this is just critical for any pastor, anyone, anywhere, is the importance of tending to our own souls. Um, we can't pour out into others if God's not pouring into our own cup, right? Mm-hmm. And so the critical importance of cultivating spiritual disciplines, of cultivating patterns of prayer, um, you know, uh, th- I think that's just so overlooked so many times. Where it's so easy to focus on what I need to do and not who I need to become. Mm-hmm. And so that's this the, probably the most critical thing for any pastor anywhere, for me still to continue to develop these rhythms of prayer, of bathing in God's word, of spending time uh, being fed spiritually so then I can then go feed others. Mm-hmm. One of the things you said just then real quick about just loving the church, one of the things that Paul says in Philippians is that he yearns for them with the affection of Christ. And I it's so easy just to look over that yeah. and just to, to miss what he's saying. And that, that just loving them with the affection of Christ, man, it's, that's so good. Mm-hmm. So last question. This is a little bit kind of off the side a little bit. It's not necessarily dealing directly with pastoring in a rural context, but it's something you're able to do because of your context. So I mentioned earlier you're, you're not only a pastor, but you are also a, a part-time employee here at the, the seminary. Uh, you work as the editor for the Center for Faith and Culture. I'd just be really curious, man. I know you and I have talked about this, and I've gained so much wisdom just from the way you've talked about this and, and the lessons you've learned. But just really curious, how has serving in these two roles, serving as both pastor and employee here at the school, how have, have these two worked uh, together? How have uh, 
both roles shaped the other? Uh, and, and what lessons have you learned even as you've, as you've served in these capacities? Yeah, they've shaped each other in a profound way. I think there's a really strong reciprocal effect of, okay, thinking about how my ministry serving in the local church has affected how I write and edit. I mean, I think it's really editing, I think, is, is a pastoral vocation in and of itself. You want to help someone say what they want to say, but better, right? Mm. And so pastoring, loving people, I think has helped me become a better editor where I, uh, I can look and try to love someone's writing and, and help them do that well. So ministry inf- informs how I work here. And I think the reverse is true also, maybe even to a greater greater degree, um, where my work here has informed how I serve the local church. Uh, for one, it gives me a continuing education, right? I'm getting paid in a sense to continue to learn and develop skills that I can use to serve in the local church, mm. uh, whether that be like social media, which became way more important in a pandemic world, like communicating with people on, on, online, our web, web development skills. Some of these things that I'm learning and using here have been profoundly important for filling some gaps and some needs that our church had uh, with our skill set. Working here has also um, given me peers who do not look to me for spiritual leadership, which is a really good thing. To your point about having someone to vent to, uh, you know, the, it's good to have people I work alongside who I can kind of just be me and not have to wear the pastor hat, mm. not have to be looking to shepherd people's souls, you know, uh, and we can just be peers. And I think that's a healthy thing to have people who are just peers. Third, and perhaps most, the, the biggest benefit of working, uh, uh, you know, another job and how that affects ministry is it gives me bosses. It gives me people and authority over me. And I think that's a really healthy thing for all of us to have people in life that we submit to. Mm. Um, it's good to have that spiritual discipline of submitting to someone in authority over you, of doing what they tell you to do, even if you disagree uh, or, or just, you know, uh, finding ways to, to, to just submit in, in, to their leadership. It's not good to always be the guy in charge, I don't think. I think it's probably unhealthy for our souls to just assume that we're the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. And of course, in a healthy church, that should not be the case where one guy's calling the shots. But inevitably, people look to you for leadership. It's, it's healthy, I think, for my soul at least, to, to have that pattern of submitting to others uh, because I think it's, it's just good for my soul. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the case. I, I, I would imagine for others who are bivocational, I, I would assume that's the case where working for someone helps them love others better in the church. Well, that will do it. Brother, thank you so much for joining this discussion and, and just providing the wisdom. Uh, it is no secret that you have been a great encouragement to me uh, over the, the years that we've worked together, and you have been doing some fantastic things uh, through the Center for Faith and Culture. If you're listening to this and you don't know anything about the, the, the Center for Faith and Culture, uh, go fix that. They have a website. They have social media pages. Go like them. Go follow them. And check out a little podcast called uh, Christ and Culture with our dear friend, Dr. Keithley, uh, who hosts that. So uh, thank you again for joining us, brother. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you're listening to this episode and you found it helpful in any way, uh, please consider leaving us a review. Now, we would love to hear your feedback 
As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.